Well, good morning, and, um, and we are in the season of Lent currently, right? And uh, perhaps Lent is something that you've observed in your Christian life before. Maybe it's something that you've not observed uh, as many times before. But of course, Lent, it's a time of, uh, of reflecting on how God can transform us. As we were just singing a moment ago about having our entire lives uh, to be an upper room for God's presence to be in. And so we're going to uh, continue our Lenten journey today uh, thinking about how we can hear God's voice speaking to us and how that voice calls for us to change. And so I wanted to, to start out exploring this idea today by asking you a question. Have you ever known someone, or do you know someone currently, who always ends their conversations the same way, right? And I don't just mean with the word by, because that's the way that, that most of us end conversations. But maybe you have a, a friend, a coworker, a family member, every time you talk with them, uh, whether it's face-to-face, through messaging, uh, maybe even through written correspondence, you know that before the conversation ends, you're going to hear them say a, a certain phrase to you. You're just, you're just waiting for it, right? And you know, you hear that phrase said enough, you start to associate those words with that particular person. And so even if you're having a conversation with someone else, or you're just out and about, and you happen to hear that particular phrase, you instantly think of that person. And for me, it's, it's my dad. Anytime my dad is uh, kind of finishing up a talk with me or my brother, and I've noticed that he even uh, will do it with my children as well now, he always reminds us to be good. And he's not just talking about, you know, have polite manners or things of that nature. He's trying to tell us, remember, Remember that one of the most important things that you can do is to go out and to be a person of goodness in this world. And so sometimes I'll hear those words, be good, maybe from a, 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 maybe from a billboard or a campaign slogan of some kind, and I always immediately think of my dad, because I'm used to hearing those words before the conversation finishes. And you know, it turns out that Jesus also has a phrase that he likes to throw in at the end of conversations. Did you know that, right? And in the book of Revelation, where we are for the season of Lent, we've been looking at the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Uh, if you read in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there the, be, the beginning of the book, Jesus writes a letter to seven churches. And we have those seven letters, one after the other, together. And toward the closing of each of these seven letters, Jesus throws out that phrase. He repeats it verbatim seven times. And Ramon, if you have been here for Bible study with him, it, as it turns out, the timing's been perfect. We're going through this series uh, on Jesus' words in Revelation on Sunday mornings here. 
And in Ramon's Bible study that he's been having, he is also in the book of Revelation. He and I were talking about that the other day, and he said it's like a higher power's in control. You can laugh. You can laugh. It's kind of a joke, right? But Ramon has said several times that in the book of Revelation, the number seven is it's significant. It's important. When you see something happening seven times, it, it signals that there is great significance for that word or that event uh, that is going on. And so I think it's all the more pressing that there's this phrase that Jesus uses seven times at the end of seven letters over and over again. And I think it's worth us kind of spending some time this morning reflecting on these words, and they are these. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These are the words that Jesus likes to throw in at the end of each conversation. And I think sometimes these words are some of the most underappreciated and yet most powerful words in the book of Revelation altogether and in all of Scripture, really. Because, you know, we're, we're spending the season of Lent reading through the seven letters, right? We're, you know, uh, we could go to jail for this, you know, reading somebody else's mail. It's a federal crime. But we're going through reading these seven letters, and we could just think, well, these are just kind of pieces of history. They're words that were written a long time ago to a church that I don't attend, and those events are, are over and gone with. But see, the thing is, the Spirit is still speaking today, right? And Jesus says whoever has ears, they need to hear what the Spirit is saying, and the Spirit is still speaking even in this moment. And the words of Jesus, they are as alive today as they were 2,000 years ago. The letters to these churches in Revelation, they are letters to us. They are more than just history. They are inspired by the very Spirit of God and they have meaning for our lives today and for the church today. And you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I thought that the Holy Spirit, it's one of those kind of uncharted frontiers for many Christians, right? And I grew up in church and my grandparents and those before them, they were, you know, old school. They called it the Holy Ghost, right? Y'all remember, y'all have some folks, y'all remember the Holy Ghost, I'm still waiting for someone to do a trunk or treat costume as the Holy Ghost one year, right? Okay, so I'm, I haven't taken it upon myself yet, but let me know if you have some ideas. But the Holy Ghost, this third part of the Trinity we talk about, it, it's a little mysterious. Maybe for some it can even seem a little spooky. What's the Holy Ghost? What's going on with that? And, you know, we look at television programs about... Uh, Pentecostal and charismatic churches, and, and you might be thinking, well, I am not doing all that now, right? And I'm not saying that you have to. But if you are going to be faithful to Jesus, and if you believe that Scripture is inspired by God, then you have to listen to the voice of the Spirit. 
It's one of those things we have to do. So you might be thinking, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to hear the voice of the Spirit? I've got ears, but what am I supposed to be listening for? How do I hear the voice of the Spirit speaking through all the noise that's out there in the world and in my life? And I want to clarify for a moment here. When Jesus says, let the one who has ears hear, I don't think he's just talking about the ears that are on the side of your head, right? Although we can, with our ears, sometimes we hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to us. But hearing and listening to someone, it means that you engage all of your senses. If you're in a conversation with someone and you are really listening or hearing what they're saying, it means that you're focused on them. It means that you're engaged. It means that at times you're responding to what they're saying. And I think this is the kind of listening we are to be doing when the Spirit speaks. Now again, in our journey through the words of Jesus in Revelation, we are looking today at the letter to the church in Pergamum. And in this letter, maybe we can find some direction for how our lives do look when we listen or don't listen to the voice of the Spirit. And so I wanted to read uh, from Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. This is a, it's a short letter here to the church in Pergamum. So it says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. It's where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Amen. So when we are reading this letter to the church in Pergamum, we notice immediately that the situation in Pergamum is not very friendly to Christian believers. Jesus opens up these words, I know where you live, it's where Satan has his throne. That doesn't sound like a good place. Pergamum was a place where there were altars to many other gods. It's a place where people were martyred for their faith like this individual Antipas that's mentioned there in the beginning of this letter. Some traditions say that he was a bishop of the church in Pergamum. So Pergamum, it's a dangerous place for faith. Yet these believers 
are staying true to the name of Jesus. Amen. They're holding on. But there are some who are not holding on. Because I believe they're not listening to the voice of the Spirit. And Jesus identifies two groups. The first being those who are holding on to the teaching of Balaam. And now, it would, it would truly take a while to unwind all that happens with Balaam and Balak in Scripture. If you go all the way back in the Old Testament, excuse me, in the book of Numbers, uh, you pick up in Numbers chapter 22, you'll find the whole story about Balaam, Balak, who was a Moabite king, and then God's people there. But long story short, Balak is a king who wants Balaam to pronounce a curse on God's people. So Balak offers to pay Balaam. Balaam's kind of like a spiritual hitman. Balak says, I'm going to pay you to pronounce a curse on God's people. And so Balaam tries over and over and over again to deliver a curse, but God will not allow it. So every time Balaam opens up his mouth, all he can say is what God allows him to say, which are blessings over God's people. Well, obviously, Balak gets a little aggravated. You know, he wants to get what he paid for, right? He wants his money's worth. So he and Balaam kind of have some words there and Eventually, they have to move to a plan B. So Balak ends up enticing and seducing the people of God to get into bed, as it were, with idol worship. And so God's people stubbornly pursue their own desires and they disregard God's voice when God's voice is trying to do nothing but bless them. And so perhaps there's a lesson here for us to learn. And it's this. When we do not listen to the voice of the Spirit, we are seduced by our own stubbornness. Hmm. And I use that word stubborn in the truest sense of the word as one who is tenaciously unwilling to yield or obstinate. And to be honest, we often praise people in the world who are stubborn. Um, uh, they are people who uh, kind of stick to their guns, we would say. This is often the story that's told about many professional athletes or coaches. Uh, you see the dramatic scenes that they play out, an individual who has been unwilling to yield to any obstacles in their path on their way to a goal. And of course, when we read through this letter to the church in Pergamum, there are clearly some believers here who are uh, stubborn about their faith in Jesus. So sometimes being a tenacious person, sometimes having a tenacious spirit brings success. But there is a kind of stubbornness that can also prevent us from hearing the Spirit. It's when we value our own desires, when we value our own personal gain or pleasure, when we value our own position or opinion or judgment over the will of God. Because 
The thing is, being stubborn can look very enticing. And in a world that is as divided and as polarized as ours, it really can seem like the right thing sometime. I'm just going to take my stand and dig in and die on this hill. But when we get so entrenched in our own way that our main motivation is a personal pursuit of pleasing ourselves, justifying ourselves, simply listening to the sound of our own voice, then we can't hear the Spirit speaking. Because see, when the Spirit speaks, the Spirit may want you to change. The Spirit may say, I need you to yield some things in your life to what I want. I need you to do things a little bit differently. And sometimes we are unwilling to yield to that voice. This was the teaching of Balaam that many still struggle with, that their own stubbornness prevents them from truly hearing and surrendering to the voice of God. And then there's that second group Jesus mentions, that hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, we really don't know a whole lot from history about this group of people, but we do know that Jesus hates their teaching. Because earlier in Revelation 2.6, when Jesus is delivering a message or his letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says to those Ephesian Christians, I actually have to commend you. You hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans and I hate their teaching also. And that's a strong statement for Jesus to say, I hate something. And you know, most of the time in church, and rightly so, we focus on God's gracious love, and, and it is the most precious gift to treasure. But Jesus and His Father, of course, they are one. And it might be helpful for us to kind of flip the coin over and look back through Scripture at a few things that God hates. Maybe that's something that you've never really thought of. Well, I wonder what is it? I know what God loves. I wonder what it is he hates. And so I wanted just to, to throw out three things. There, there are more than these three. But one thing that God hates is empty worship. And we find this when you read scriptures like Amos chapter 5. Basically, in Amos chapter 5, they're, they're having a church service of all things. And God looks out at it and he says, this church service disgusts me. Oh, God, this is awful. It stinks. God says, do you really think you can show up and you can just talk to me like you love me, but I know the kind of life that you're living. <laughs> do you think that you can make promises to me and just break them? Do you, do you really think that I accept that kind of worship when I know it's completely empty? So God hates empty worship. God hates empty words. God hates when we kind of talk out of both sides of our mouth. God hates when we don't do what we say we will do. He hates when we're not faithful to the vows and the words that we say. And so in Zechariah chapter 8, God is talking to His people. And one of the things He's saying to them there, He says, Make sure that the words that you speak are truthful and just. 
Because I hear those words. I don't want people speaking empty words. I hate that. There's no integrity to that. And since I was on this this W kick, I'm going to throw this third one out. God hates empty wallets. Uh, I knew that one was going to get thrown back at me. God hates empty wallets. And boy, this one just really grates on us, I think. But Malachi chapter 3. Again, God is talking to His people. And He says, you all come here to worship. You're a bunch of thieves. And the people are like, what in the world are you talking about? I'm not a thief. And God says, but you're robbing from me. And they're like, well, how in the world are we doing that? He says, because you won't tithe. You won't be generous with me or generous with anyone. And it's not about a dollar amount. It's just about God saying, your heart is so stubbornly obstinate that you won't even, you won't be generous at all. And so God hates when we worship material wealth above him. Even Jesus talks about that. There's God and there's money. You can't worship them both, man. You got to pick. So when we look through scripture again, these are, these are some things that God says, I hate this stuff. And so even though we don't possess a lot of historical evidence about these Nicolaitans, we know that Jesus says, I hate what they're teaching. I hate the way they're leading people. And so perhaps they were teaching some or all of of these things here. And so a, a lesson that maybe we can take out of all of this is that when we do not listen to the voice of the Spirit, we will end up holding on to what God hates. Man, that's strong. When we're busy listening to every other voice but God's, we may end up holding on to things in our lives that God actually hates. And remember, this letter is being delivered to a church It was being delivered to people on the pews who would just rather have worshipped their way than God's way. And although Jesus, He addresses these two groups separately, those with with Balaam and those with the Nicolaitans, I think there's kind of a common outcome for both. And it's this. When we do not listen to the voice of the Spirit, our prideful stubbornness leads to emptiness. When we're so dug in to just have our way. When we're just so stubbornly obstinate to God. It leads to empty worship. Leads to empty words. Leads to an empty life. Now, those are some tough words, man, right? Those are some tough words. Jesus is calling for some serious accountability. But praise God, Jesus has grace. And Jesus offers hope. Jesus calls us to live a life that is in step with God's will for us. But Jesus offers us the hope of helping us to do that. And so there, at the end of that letter again, Jesus says, the one who has ears, hear what the Spirit is saying. If you hold on, if you're faithful... If you truly do what God is commanding you to do, then I will give to you of hidden manna. Think God's saying there, I will provide for the things you need. And then he says, I will give you a white stone 
with a new name written on it. That may seem a little odd to us. A white stone, you know? What's that about? Now, I think this is where history helps us a little bit. Because in the times of the Pergamum church, sometimes a court decisions, they would be uh, determined or presented by casting a stone. So maybe the judge or those who were participating in making that verdict in a case, they would cast a particular kind of stone. Uh, Sometimes it was a black stone if they were casting a judgment of guilt. But sometimes it was a white stone if it was a decision of innocence. And so there, Jesus says, in the place where Satan's throne is, and Satan, the one who is constantly accusing us, Jesus says, if you will hold on to me, and if you'll listen to the voice of the Spirit, I will give you a new identity. So I think the words of hope for us to hold on to are this. When we listen to the voice of the Spirit, we will experience a redeemed life. Man, that's good news. That is great news. Because at times we wander away. At times we may pursue things that God does not desire for us. But praise God, He doesn't just abandon us or just leave us. God says, my spirit is calling out to you, is speaking to you, drawing you to me. And maybe you need to come closer to God today. The spirit is speaking and Jesus is saying, if you will hear my voice, if you will respond and trust me, and obey what I'm asking you to do. I will redeem your life. You can't do it on your own. And that word redemption, man, it is such an incredible word because it it literally means Jesus says, I'll buy everything back in your life. Every single thing that's happened to you, the worst moments, the best moments, everything in between, I'll buy it back to something Amazing, something greater than you can imagine. Do you want to live a redeemed life? Then hear the Spirit calling today. Hear the Spirit calling to you to be faithful and to trust in simply Jesus. Amen.